one of the challenges of speaking is coming up with a message every week. Somebody asked me, what's preaching like? And I'm like, well, it's kind of like doing a book report and doing a presentation every Sunday. And then the next Sunday, you get to do another one. Next Sunday, you get to do another one, so on and so on. And so one of the things I try to do is find common ground that we can all kind of agree on. And today, I wanted to start by talking about something that's on all of our minds or probably will be on our minds within the next hour to hour and a half. I want to talk about food. <laughs> now, some people, some people like, like food, and then some people are put in the category of a foodie, which means you love food and you're kind of a food snob. So I'm just kind of curious, who is a food snob with me? I mean, my hand is up, okay? okay. We appreciate life. The people that didn't raise their hands, they suffer through. Like, I mean, you just eat your little Happy Meal and be happy, all right? Happy Meal never made me happy because there's not enough meal in the Happy Meal to make me happy. I don't know where that came from. Let's roll. So anyway... One of my favorite things about a meal, though, isn't a meal. Like, when I go out, I'm all about the appetizers. Love a good appetizer. It's great. Love a good salad. Like, good salad with, like, the dark green lettuce. Not the light green lettuce, but the dark green lettuce because that's where the nutrients are, right? And I love a good meal, like a good uh, steak. Or if you're a pescatarian, a piece of fish. Or if you're a vegetarian, a mushroom. Like, what? I don't know what you eat, but, like, you eat something... But, but if you know anything about me, my favorite part of the meal is, oh my God, today is National Ice Cream Day. Didn't know if y'all knew that, but that's true. That's legit. I will be celebrating all day long. So years and years and years ago, I had a friend ask me to lunch and I said, yes. And so we went to lunch and I never had been to this place. It was a place downtown Anderson that I had never heard of called Sullivan's. And we, we had lunch there, and it was, it was really good. And then the server came up and said, would you like dessert? And before I could answer, he spoke up and said, hey, man, it's a sin to come here and not get dessert. And I was like, well, that's the last thing I want to do is sin. But um, so I got a dessert. I forgot what I got. I mean, it was good. It was good. Um, so a few weeks later, I was getting together with a group of guys one night. We had like a business meeting, and we kind of did a pre-meal before we, it's like the pre-game meal or whatever, I don't know. And uh, they said, where should we go eat? I'm like, oh my God, we got to go to Sullivan's. I said, this is a place downtown, it's amazing. Now, I've never been there for dinner, but when at dinner, their portion sizes are enormous. It's not like one of those frou-frou restaurants where they charge you $800 and they bring you like a toenail or something like that. So it's, uh, that was the grossest thing I think I've ever said. So we went there, and we got appetizers and the meal, and it was just hum like this humongous meal. And the server came up and said, would you like dessert? And I said, does Billy Graham have a quiet time? Um, and she didn't know what that meant. And I was like, well, does a bear poop in the woods? So she got that. And so she kind of described the desserts that night. And on that particular night, now it happened that night. I don't think I've ever ordered this since. But on that particular night, this was what she talked about. Now, some of you are like, what is that? That is called black bottom Reese's peanut butter pie. Now, if you're allergic to peanuts, it'll kill you, so stay away from it. But, but the, and this was taken in my apartment last night, um, and, and so I wanted you to look what it looks like when, when you cut into it. That is like an Oreo crust right there. By the way, Sullivan's is closed on Sundays. I know I always do Sullivan's and Chick-fil-A illustrations on Sundays. I'm sorry about this, but this is like a 
black, and, and, and by, I was going to bring it this morning, but I promise you, I promise you, I forgot it. It's in my refrigerator. So I'm going to, I'm going to suffer for Jesus and eat this this week, but this is, this is what it looks like. And then I cut a piece last night just because I wanted to sample it and make sure it was good because that's what the pastor does to take care of the flock, right? But when I cut it, this is what it looked like on my plate. It didn't, it doesn't, but this right here, this right here is one of the best things. You, if you love peanut butter, any peanut butter fans? Peanut, okay, yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, this right here will change your life, will change your life. So the, on that particular night, I got it. And, uh, and they brought it to him. Now, keep in mind, I already eaten a huge meal, heavy meal. And I took the first bite and I put it in my mouth and there was a party going on in my mouth. My mouth got charismatic. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And then I took the second bite and I, big surprise, I take big bites. I like big bites and I can't not lie. Other brother can't nah. This service is already off the rails. My, my meds are wearing off. Y'all think I'm joking, but they really do wear off at 11.15. So my, <laughs> my second bite, my second bite was a little bit like too much or whatever. And, and, and something inside me after the second bite said, you need to stop. And I was like, get thee behind me, Satan. Like, I, I don't need to stop. But you know, you know how it is when you've eaten so much and your body is kind of like, hey, this is where we need to stop. This is where we need to stop. But I was like, I, I told myself, all right, I will stop after one more bite. <laughs> and I had that one more bite. And why is it that that last bite is always the best bite? So I, I got one more bite. Finally, I just kept telling myself one more bite until I'd finished the whole thing. And for about 10 minutes, for about 10 minutes, I felt incredible. But after about 10 minutes when I had to go to the meeting, I felt this thing called guilt, food guilt. You ever had food guilt? Food guilt, every Thanksgiving is what we have in, in America, right? We, we have food guilt where we eat so much and we feel so good for about 10 minutes. And after about 10 minutes, we're like, oh my God, what have I done? And we go to sleep. Now, the problem was I couldn't go to sleep. I have a business meeting to attend, so I'm in the business meeting thinking the whole time, I wish I could go back and stop at that second bite. I wish I could go back and undo what I did. If I, had, if I knew then what I knew now, I wouldn't have had the, the extra appetizer. I would have stopped on the, I, I, if I, I can't, but here's the deal. I couldn't go back and undo what I'd done. And so I had food guilt. And the thing that I know that happens with food guilt is guilt always leads to regret. I wish I hadn't have eaten all that food. Now, this is my experience with food. But with many of us, notice I didn't say you, I said us, that's our experience in life. There's something in the past that literally haunts us. Maybe it was a year ago, maybe it was 10 years ago, maybe it was 20 years ago, it was spring break, it was college, it was whatever. But it's that thing that we can't seem to get past and it always pops up and, and we can't go back and undo what we did. We, we look and we go, I wish I would not have answered the text. I wish I would not have returned the call. I wish I would not have poured the drink. I wish I would not have done the deal, but we can't go back and undo it. And when it comes to how we live in life, we are dominated by this thing called guilt and guilt always leads to regret. 
And the thing I know is that if we try to live through life, if guilt is on the throne of our life, then God is not. And the reason a lot of people don't experience this thing that Jesus talked about in Scripture called an abundant life is because guilt is in the place where God should be. Two things about guilt, two things about guilt that I want us to understand before we kind of really dive in. The first thing is we're defined by it. We're, we're, we're defined by it. We, we allow guilt to define us. So no matter what that thing is in the past, whether it's the abortion or whether it's the affair or whether it's the addiction or whatever, once you do it, especially here in the southeastern part of the United States, what you did is who you are. But in Christ, what you did is not who you are. That's where identity changes because in Christ, guilt does not have to have a grip in our lives. But unfortunately, there's so many of us in this room that allow guilt to define us. Hey, that's what I did. And because that's what I did, that's who I am. And once we let guilt define us, then guilt defeats us. We're defined by it. And when we're defined by guilt, it defeats us. Isn't it crazy how you can be driving down the road and you're just having the best day and all of a sudden that season pops in your mind? Are you running to that person who used to run around with, hey, remember the time? And you're like, actually, I only remember half of it. And that's the problem. I'm trying to forget the other half and thank you so much for completely wrecking my life spiritually today. That's what happens to us and we feel defeated for the rest of the day. So, so here's what I want everybody to do. I want you to think about that deepest, darkest thing that haunts you. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to tell them about it. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That, that was, I, I, I had you right there. Everybody was like, oh, dear God. Oh, oh, oh. Not, not, not going to do that. <laughs> not going to do that. But probably nobody in this room thought, oh, I don't really have anything that I feel guilty about. If so, we're glad you're here, Jesus. Everybody else, we've all got that thing. Well, I want to I wanna share a verse with you today. And the verse I want to share with you is, is in the scriptures. But, but I, if you're from a church background, I don't want you to see this as a Bible verse. Because when the person who wrote this wrote this, he didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write a book called the Bible to help people. And in 2000 years, they're going to have screens and projectors and, and Bible apps on phones. They had no idea 2000 years ago when they wrote this book, when the men and women who wrote it, put it together, they had no idea that it was going to come together and be so foundational. And the person who wrote what I'm about to share struggled with guilt as much. In fact, I think he struggled with guilt more than all of us in this room combined. The person who wrote what I'm about to share with you had murdered innocent women and men, and some even say children. The, the level of sin that was in this guy's life, none of us could really compete. And it was this guy who wrote a letter to a church in Rome, and he said these words, these words came from a man who wrestled with guilt as much of, as much of any of us. So now, 
There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. None. There's no condemnation. But what about no condemnation? No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Guilt does not have to have a grip on you anymore. Not because we're good, but because he's good. Now, there's three types of condemnation. Three types of condemnation I want to walk through really, really quick this morning if you're taking notes. First is there's no God condemnation. I grew up in a church um, like Wesleyan Independent Baptist, and my parents always had me at some charismatic thing every once in a while. So I grew up thinking God was pissed at me. I don't know if you kind of grew up in that, but God, God's going to get you. Have you ever heard that? God's going to get you, God's going to get you, God's going to get you. And so when something bad happened to somebody, I was like, God's getting them. I remember, I'm not making this up. I remember my cousin got hit by a car one time. She was like a year younger than me. She got hit by a car and I was like, sin in her life. Sin. And no, we do that sometimes. Like somebody will, somebody will, oh, if you didn't sin, your car would have started. No, it has nothing to do with sin. It has to do with your starters broken. That's why your car didn't start. But we tend to be, we tend to think that God has this killer surveillance system and he's always watching us. And as soon as we mess up, he's going to, in fact, somebody told me this one time. I never will forget this. They said, hey, heaven's going to be, all of us are going to go to this gigantic movie theater and we're all going to see a movie about each of our lives. And I'm like, send me to hell because I, I, that, that's not heaven. We think God is the one that's always bringing up our past, the stuff that we've asked for forgiveness for, the stuff that we literally have no condemnation for. So I'll say it like this. How many of you are parents in the room? If you're a parent, you got, oh, wow, okay, look, fertile people. That's great. Awesome. So if you got a parent, or if you're a parent and you got a kid, then I'll ask this follow-up question. How many of you that raised your hands have either been peed on, crapped on, are thrown up on. Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, that was 100%. Unless you had seven pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, right? I, that, that's, that's 100%. Now, I'll bet none of you, none of you have thought about, you know what? I'm going to take a picture of every mess my child makes. From the age of one month to four years, every time he pees or every time he poops or every time he throws up, I'm just going to take a picture of it. And then when he gets 13, 14, 15 years old, I'm just going to sit him down. Hey, come here. Come here, sit down. Look at this picture right here. I, I know you feel great about yourself, but did you see this? Th this right here happened at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> and we're going to rename it Crapper Barrel because you destroyed that diaper in the middle of everything. See this picture right here? I don't know how you can, how can you live with yourself? Like, do you, like no parent is going, take notes. That's a great idea. None of us would do that to our child. When our child makes a mess, we clean it up, right? And we move on. If we wouldn't do that to our own children, and Jesus said the way that we can relate to God is Father, and God is perfect, then why in the world would we think that God keeps bringing up a past that we've actually been forgiven for? When Paul wrote, there's no condemnation, if you're in Christ, 
Sin has been forgiven, past, present, and future. There's no condemnation. And in the Greek, no condemnation means no condemnation. Thank you very much. I've got somebody else that knows Greek. Number two, there's no self-condemnation. This, just confession time, is like my therapy group. Hi, my name's Perry. Okay, like 17 people have been to therapy. The rest of y'all, try it. It's awesome. This is, in fact, how many, if you've seen the movie Liar, Liar with Jim Carrey, right? And there's a scene in the movie, if you've seen it, where he beats himself up. Remember, like, they walk in the bathroom, what are you doing? I'm kicking my own. Okay, you, you, you'll get that. If you hadn't seen the movie, he, there's a scene in the movie where he literally beats himself up. He's in a bathroom, and he's punching himself in the face. He's giving himself, and he's trying to hurt himself. He slams his own. Anyway, you got to see it. It's hysterical. But every time I see that scene, I'm just reminded of what I do to myself spiritually sometimes. I beat myself up. There are people in this room your worst critic is the person you shaved with or put on makeup with today in the, in, in the mirror. And one of the things I'm having to learn is to retrain my thoughts to not be self-condemning because I am so tough on my, and, and many of you, you know the exact same thing. I'm having to learn no condemnation not only means no God condemnation, but I've got to quit talking down to myself. You've got to quit talking down to yourself about things that God has forgiven you for. The last, the last one is there's no other's condemnation. Now, some of you are like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I know. I know other people condemn you. There's, there's this thing called social media that gave the village idiot a voice. No, it did. I'm not saying everybody on social media, all of you that are watching today, you're brilliant, wonderful, godly people. I'm just saying, those other people, I've already blocked them. Um, But no, y'all think I'm kidding. That little block feature, that thing's powerful. Block, block, block. Bye, Felicia. I mean, I, 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 I do it all. So when, 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 when other people condemn you, because here in the Southeast especially, what you did 20 years ago still gets attached to you today. Oh, you're the guy that did that. Oh, you're the girl that did that. Oh, you're the guy. That may be what I did, but it's not who I am. And you know what? I just, in my mind, I'm thinking, don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby, because I'm not, I don't, I don't have to accept your opinion on me if it's not in line with God's opinion on me. And God said, I'm not condemned. And if God said, I'm not condemned, it doesn't matter what you said, because at the end of the day, we're going to be in the same line in heaven. Hello. And so when other people have something to say about you, you just don't have to receive it. No, no God condemnation, no self-condemnation, no others condemnation. And by the, by the way, the person that's always trying to condemn you, always trying to condemn you, they're condemning you so they don't have to deal with their own junk. We'll talk more about that next week. Paul goes on to say, and because you belong to him, there's that belong to Christ again, it's in there. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, some people go, how does sin lead to death? It's very simple, guilt. 
Guilt will literally kill the life that God wants to bring out of us. Now, when we look at this verse, the life-giving spirit has freed you. Most of us, when it comes to our spirituality, we don't feel free because of that thing in the past. Spring break, college, out of whatever, whatever, whatever that is, we don't feel free. But once we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. We can literally give him, God is saying, give me your guilt. Let me have it. I don't know anybody that wants something, right? I've shared this illustration before. You would think I would learn, but I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So I went grocery shopping a few weeks ago, and I hate grocery shopping. I hate it, but I go, suffer through it. I've got the store memorized. I get the same things. It's really boring, but water was on sale. And it was a big deal. Like, buy two cases, get one free. Um, and so I bought two cases of water. I, I bought cases of water. Y'all need to hear that. All right, so I bought some cases of water. And then, like, eight bags of groceries or whatever because I get yogurt and bananas and all that stuff because I'm trying to eat clean most of the time. And then I got to my apartment, and I had three cases of water, eight bags of groceries, four bags on this arm, four bags on this arm, three cases of water. I'm a one-tripper. This just happened a few weeks ago. So I opened the door on, to the street going, uh, and, and a guy walks by me and goes, Pastor P, how are you doing? I knew this guy. I was like, I'm great. He's like, can I help you? I was like, nah, man. Just doing some curls, baby. Been hitting that. You see that vein game right there? I was like, feeling good. I got halfway up the stairs, and my water broke and did what? Well, My water broke. That's the dumbest. That's officially the dumbest thing I have ever said in my life. Somebody over here just took a picture of me sitting on the throne. I can't wait to see where that goes online. Somebody over here is doing it. Okay, okay, I just, okay, okay, here we go. Oh, my God. Oh, Got to get Philip's chair back. So the, the case of water I was carrying broke. And everything goes down the stairs, and the yogurt busted open, and then Chance comes out the door, and he starts eating the yogurt, and I'm like, oh, my God, my dog's going to get diarrhea, and then that's not fun. And so, and I literally, when it happened, it was kind of like God going, you, you, I, you haven't learned. If somebody offers help, take the help. You don't have to do this on your own. The problem with Christianity so many times is we try to do it on our own. And, and God said, all that guilt that you have, God's not saying, let me help you with it. God's going, give it to me. Give that to me. Give all of it to me. I love the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He wrote, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I thought about this this week. I'd never thought about it this way, but Peter was a fisherman. He knew something about casting, that once you cast... You have no control over it anymore. God, I'm going to give you my guilt, and I don't want it to control me anymore. That's powerful. Now, this is, it kind of goes 
against, though it kind of plays up against some of the religious ideology we have here in the South, because Paul goes on to explain in this next verse, he said, the law of Moses, now the law of Moses in the Jewish mind is like 618, 619 commands when you break it down, depending on uh, which which version you, you look at. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Now, we're all weak. We've all said, I'm never going to do it again, and we do it again, right? We've all said that. We promised, we cried, we prayed, um, and it's because we're, we're, we're weak. So God did what the law could not do, which ultimately paid for sin. He sent his own son in a body Like the bodies we sinners have, notice Paul said we sinners, not you sinners, but we sinners. He identifies with us. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins because all of us had to have our sins paid for because all of us are guilty of sin. And when I say all of us guilty, like here's the deal, here's the deal. All of us in this room, all of us, all of us, not one exception, have broken all Ten commandments. All ten. Now, if I were you, I'd be arguing with me right now. No, I hadn't. What's what's the commandment that most people would push back and say you have not broken? Thou shalt not. Mm. Really? That's what I talk when, I, when I'm sharing Christ with people. Say. You know, why do you think you're going to heaven? I ain't never killed nobody. Well, that's awesome because the Bible says you must not murder. And I, by the way, I like that one. I think, that's, I think it's a keeper. I like it. I think it's great, <laughs> especially when you go to a Georgia game or you go to a Georgia game as a Clemson fan. This is a great, great, great command. But there's this guy named Jesus. Now, let me tell you about Jesus. I just go with what he says because anybody that can predict their own death burial and resurrection and pull it off, I'm on his team. And Jesus said this. Okay, so keep in mind, you shall not murder. Most of y'all said, most of y'all said you never killed anybody. I didn't ask for a hand raise because <laughs> it's best. Remember that deepest, darkest secret a while ago? Yeah, it's best not to know. Jesus said, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. You might have been angry with somebody, maybe on the way to church today. On the way here, like on the way here, you shattered this command, broke it 17 times. Oh, it gets, it gets better. If you call someone an idiot, I don't know if this counts for dogs because Chance thinks that's his name sometimes. <laughs> you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Huh, that is just what Jesus said about that. So all y'all said, y'all ain't never killed anybody. And Jesus said, actually, if you've been angry with somebody, it's the same. And so while you may have never killed anybody, 
I'll bet you that everybody in the room has struggled with this thing called road rage. (laughs) Road rage is an aggressive or angry behavior exhibited by a driver of a road vehicle. These behaviors include rude and offensive gestures. I have no idea what that is. Um, Verbal insults, physical threats, or dangerous driving methods targeted toward another driver or a pedestrian in an effort to intimidate or release frustration. How many people have had road rage? Murderers. (laughs) See, Paul said we can't keep the commands. We can't keep all the commands. And so because we can't keep the commands and ultimately have the price paid for our sin that Jesus Christ came, died on a cross, paid for our sins. And when Jesus paid for our sins, if we're followers of Christ, we were declared not guilty. In other words, if we're in Christ, if we belong to Christ, guilt does not have to be on the throne anymore. We can replace guilt with God. The, The grip of guilt will destroy us but the grace of God will allow us to live in freedom because when it comes to guilt, when it comes to that thing that we have that we can't get past, I believe God would say to us today that when I see you, I don't see that and I don't want you to see it either. When God sees you, he does not see that. and He doesn't want you to see it either. Now, if anybody in this room knows about guilt, I know. Three years ago today, I was in Tucson, Arizona, 110 degrees at a treatment facility, just following the most humiliating week or two of my life. It was tough. Treatment was tough. I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave the first three. And everybody who goes to treatment wants to leave the first 48, 72 hours. Um, it was actually an email from my friend Stephen Furtick that, that got me, that prompted me to stay. Because um, I emailed him and said, I'm going to leave this place. He emailed back and said, hey, man, I love you if you stay and I love you if you leave. But I just, you told a lot of people you were going to go and I just want you to be a man of your word. He came at me sideways. You see what he did? He just came at me sideways. So I stayed, completed 30 days. But on that 28th day, I, I went in and I sat down at breakfast that morning and I had my Bible and I was looking at this, these beautiful mountains. I was like, I don't want to go home. Because, because what happened to me, it wasn't private. It was, it was public. And there was a lot of guilt. God, let me go anywhere but Anderson, South Carolina. And and a song just came to my mind. Sometimes it's a verse, sometimes whatever, but it's a song. And it just kept playing over and over and over in my mind. And it filled me with the courage to step back into a place that I I wanted to run from. And there was a line in the song that gets me. I can't sing the song and get to this line that I don't just absolutely break up. 
The line in the song is, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that you love me. I don't have time to maintain the regrets of my past and neither do you. So I thought the day before we'd do the invitation, I want us to sing this song. It's a song called He Loves Me. And when we get to this line in the song, if you know it, I want you to sing it like you mean it. If you feel comfortable, I want both hands in the air because I want us to celebrate the fact that God's unconditional love is available for everyone in the room and Guilt can lose its grip because of his grace. With that in mind, can we stand? I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, we're going to sing this song like we mean it before we do invitation. Father, thank you so much that your love for us today is more powerful than all of our sin combined. Your love is unconditional. Your love is sacrificial. Your grace is amazing. God, your acceptance is mind-blowing. So, Father, I pray for those of us in this room today that wrestle with the grip of guilt. God, that we would allow over these next few moments the, the words of truth in this song to absolutely fill our hearts and our minds with joy and that we would not have any more time to maintain the regrets that you've paid for. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your name.